Hey everyone, this is Peg Mulqueen with another episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast, where I get to sit down and talk with teachers in the Ashtanga yoga world who inspire me, and I'm betting will inspire you too. I didn't start Ashtanga Dispatch for popularity or likes, and I don't actually think of the dispatch as even a business. In fact, the other day, someone was talking to me about branding and whatnot, and I just said, you know what? I think it's a waste of time and money. Do what you love and share from that space and surround yourself with like-minded people, passionate about the same things you're passionate about. For me, I just knew I wanted to create a space where everyone and anyone would feel included, inspired, and supported in their yoga. Because that's what I was craving. And I'm guessing you are too, because you're here, right? Well, that's kind of the way I go about bringing on guests to the podcast. I invite teachers on who are sharing the practice in a way that's touched me. Like today's guest, Philippa Asher. Philippa is a certified Ashtanga yoga teacher and one of the few female students who has completed the Advanced B series. Now, as impressive as all that is, That's not really the reason I asked her to come on the show. You see, I'd read a piece she wrote called Musings About an Ashtanga Asana Practice from 20-something to 40-something. That's actually the title. And in there, Philippa talked quite pointedly about challenges and issues of her own, including her own recklessness as a younger woman, as well as fertility issues. Anyway, I was just struck by how brave and forthcoming she was with her experience. You know, it's super rare. I mean, I can't tell you how not often I chat with somebody for the first time who is that willing to be open and vulnerable. You know, as you'll hear her say, it has not been an easy ride. And that's precisely why she does choose to put herself and her story out there for others who also haven't had an easy ride. As usual... This conversation is completely unedited. It begins with the two of us trying to figure out how to see each other over FaceTime. And then Philippa actually starts asking me questions first, which is really quite funny because in hindsight, I don't think she realized that in the podcast, I'm the one who usually does the interviewing, though I'm actually not sure it would have mattered to her anyway. So, if you don't know the Ashtanga Dispatch story, you're about to hear my condensed version. And if you already know it, feel free to fast forward to about 12 minutes in where we begin talking about the article I just mentioned. Another topic we touched upon about 20 minutes in was how practice in Mysore, India has changed since the 90s, when there was no agenda to visiting except to feel Guruji's love and joy. And of course, do the practice. Anyway, there's some really great stuff in here. You can find a link to Philippa's article and her website with teaching schedule on the Ashtanga Dispatch website. So without further ado, here's Philippa Asher. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Are you having an amazing time in London? Yeah, well, it's my city, so it's great to be here. It yeah. is your city, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you're there with my friend Scott. Yeah, I'm teaching. I'm teaching with Scott this week, so that's and last week, so that's very nice. He's so um, special. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know Scott? I know Scott because, gosh, I'm thinking to myself, how do I know him? I know him for a couple of different, a couple of different ways. Number one, um, David Kyle is a good friend of mine. And uh-huh. of course, he's super connected um, with that community. But really, I think that Scott reached out to me years ago and was just like, wrote me this beautiful little note that just said, keep doing what you're doing. And it was just like, I, he, you know, he does such a wonderful job building community uh-huh. and he really cares so much. And yeah. I guess just wanted to reach out and say, you look like a kindred spirit and hey, from across the pond or whatever. And, <laughs> and we just started talking and my husband is um, from England. And so we like made little connections there. And then last year we finally got to meet in person. I was in Glasgow, but then John Scott was going to be up at the Eco Yoga Center. So I went up there and spent some time with that whole crew and fell in love. Like felt like I met my family. Just, oh, oh, I, you know, I always know David Kyle always picks good people. Like I always trust his judgment in nearly everything. In fact, I can't think of anything (laughs) that I don't. And So I kind of am like his little mini stalker. So I just like decide I'm going to be friends with his friends. And (laughs) Um, But I remember at the end of the week of spending a week with Scott, I was packing up, trying to get going. I was going back to the States and he came in and he said, do you need any help? And I said, you know what I need? I need a cup of tea. Will you make... And and I realized I just sent him out. I've known him less than a week. I just sent him to go get me a cup of tea. And he went and he made me a cup of tea and he brought it back and it was a perfect cup of tea. So that was that. Anyway, so that's a long story, but that's how I know him. <laughs> Tell me a bit about Ashtanga Dispatch. You wait, I'm supposed to be doing the interview. No, I'm sorry. I'm interested, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Ashtanga Dispatch wasn't really supposed to be this big online um community it ended up that way it was really I was in DC and it is an interesting story in some ways my friend Jen um, was going to be starting a program there my store program and in in Washington DC there were a lot of people practicing yoga but a lot of people really scared of Ashtanga yoga in particular and you know all the all the things like people get hurt and it's mean and they're mean and there's rules and all of this sort of stuff right and so People, so you had this like amazing thriving community and people petrified to step foot in Ashtanga. So we decided to make it a little bit less frightening, a little, you know, more disarming, right? So we made funny videos. We, um, yeah, like literally got out a little flip camera and made stupid promo videos. And Jen said, we should give it a name. And I said, yeah, what do you want to call it? She said, let's call it Ashtanga Dispatch. And I was like, well, what does dispatch mean? (laughs) She said, you know, getting the word out. So I was like, okay. So that's what we did. We started putting up silly videos and made ourselves humanized. Do you know what I mean? Like, like did poked fun at even the whole process of some of this that can be kind of intimidating, like how early we wake up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And 
anyway, it caught on with other people. Like we were just doing this for the Washington DC crew. But what ended up happening is, is other people, um, started writing and started reaching out and were picking up. I'd always written a blog cause I've always been a writer. So those kind of pieces went out. And then my daughter who's in who was in college at the time, she was in her senior year and she said, you know, mom, we should make, she was, she's a photography major and she was doing some graphic design and she said, we should make a magazine. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Right. So we make this, I didn't know how much work it was, by the way, when I said, yeah, like I had no idea. Like that was, it was such a naive, like, of course I want to work with my daughter and do something with her. <laughs> and so we made the first magazine and it was just sort of an intro uh, to mm -hmm. the whole process and to Mysore and to Ashtanga. And it had wonderful con contributing authors from people and some interviews. And it, again, we never envisioned that it would go, I never even thought it would go outside, you know, outside the East Coast. It was going, I was starting to mark off places on the globe it was going, you know, Hong Kong, Australia, you know, um, just everywhere, the Philippines, all these places. What I realized was there's all these people practicing by themselves. They're like in all these areas of the world and you start to feel kind of lonely and alone. And all of a sudden you have this really fun thing that comes up on Facebook and it's got a magazine and, and then eventually a podcast. <laughs> and so, so it's really about connection then. It, it really is. Um, it, it wasn't what I intended it to be. And yeah. it's certainly much better and broader. And so the idea of community without walls kind of comes up and these podcasts especially have been really fun to, for me to do because I'm just interested. Like I just actually like learning, but it's connecting all these people, all these students um, that are all over the world that have, that might never get the chance, you know, to meet you um, or, I don't know. They might not even, they, a lot of them don't have a teacher that they can practice with at all in person. And yet there they are, you know, in their basements or bathrooms and living rooms, you know, stationed in military places, it, 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 practicing and just feeling connected and having the opportunity to, to realize that they're part of something much bigger. You know, it's, it's really, really interesting because you think about um, how, Asana would have been practiced back in the day. It would have been very remotely in, you know, places, you know, off the spectrum. Um, and and it's very interesting to, to hear you talk about, you know, people at military bases or in their bathrooms and stuff, people who are, who are practicing on their own. Because what I find quite fascinating is that now we have this enormous uh, classroom situation, whereas... Originally, Arsenal would have been practiced as a solitary thing, you know, just you and perhaps your, your teacher. Just and It would be very, very intimate and quiet. Um, and now it's just, you know, a, a big... Do you see what I'm saying? Totally, totally. <laughs> and that, that aspect really blows my mind because, you know, I mean, I personally like to practice on my own. 
I don't like anybody else around me. I like to be just me, ideally in nature, listening to birdsong and all that kind of stuff. And then I feel deeply connected. Um, and I think it's very interesting to know that there are other people out there who are doing self-practice by themselves, <laughs> you know, rather yeah. than going a group class which can be quite noisy and distracting and you know a whole wealth of other things are there to to kind of test you and challenge you um but yeah it's very interesting isn't it how you'll practice in different ways I don't think I could ever go back it's just my daughter and me in the morning we just go we have a yoga studio in the upstairs of the house and it's dark out and the dogs like we let the dogs out really early in the morning and they go upstairs and they each have a bed and they go to sleep and the candles are lit and we just kind of go up there and practice in quiet. And I, I don't know if I could go back to a bustling, I moved from Washington DC to Montana, which is a very remote, it's, I'm much more remote now. I'm, you know, don't have, there isn't, there aren't studios, you know, to practice with here. And, so the studio, we built the studio just so that I would have a nice space when, once we moved, thinking that I was going to be out there on my own. But like you just said, I really love it. I, I mean, it really actually, for the first time, started to become my practice. Uh-huh. You know? Do you know what? I mean, Guruji, when he was alive, he said, um, and this has always been something that's resonated with me, and I've never forgotten this. Um, he said... You do your practice and you go home and you do not talk about it. It's just between you and God. And I thought that was wonderful because, you know, when you do self-practice and it's just you and that which is bigger than us, then you do feel totally connected and that just stays with you. So I think was what he was saying was, you know, don't dilute it. It's so powerful and so potent. You know, if you, the, more, the more you share, you know, the thinner um, it, it becomes. And, and I just love that kind of, you know, the quietness and, you know... <laughs> Being, being still and, you know, being upstairs with the candles and you know, in the quiet place, it's, it's special, isn't it? It, it? it really is. I don't, I can't say it would have been enough to get me going, which is just being honest. I, I don't know if I was motivated or understood or I, I just don't know. Um, I definitely think having a large community helped me in the beginning but at some point, what was helping me started to get in my way. Does that make sense? I totally hear what you're saying. Yes. And I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so odd. I guess you really just can't take parts. You always want to take parts of a journey and you want to say, this is it right here, you know? And then you I travel mean, on. I'm Think really I think we have to remember that it's all about the practice the practice is perfect it's the practice is the thing that you know makes us full of joy and happy and able to get on with our day it's not you know going for the coffee or the breakfast after it, it that's not it <laughs> it's you know it's getting on the mat and doing your thing and then being kind and compassionate and a lovely person throughout the day <laughs> it's just doing the work isn't it it's the hard graft um yeah 24 <laughs> 7 I'm really special to talk to you today and I was really excited when you sent me the article when you sent me your article and I had read the article and it was the Ashtanga Asana practice 
for 20 something to 40 something, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like something I would have written. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I mean, it says it like it is. And, and it was in the first Push Pump magazine, right? Yeah, they had an abridged version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's- and so I read it in Push Pump, but then you sent it to me directly after not even ever meeting you, which, by the way, is how Scott and I became friends. So now meet your new bestie over here. <laughs> Lovely. But I, yeah. I've read it through so many different times. It, I read it through first in the magazine, then when uh-huh. you sent it, and more often than that, like at least a few more times after that. And I'm, I'm so struck by how candid and open you were (laughs) about sharing your own personal journey. (laughs) Why? It takes so much courage to open up. First of all, it's, it's awfully generous because you have such a wealth of years and experience and I have and I don't think I'm I'm speaking out of turn to say that there's not a lot of women that that are easily found that are steeped in the time the experience and the practice so it's special Mm. um when you share it it makes you vulnerable like you either it just it's it's a little scary I think, and I think it, it maybe even those women that are out there, there's less that are willing to always share because of, you know, what you're opened up to when you put yourself out there mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Sure. I, um, I mean, there's a, there's a few reasons why um, I, I wanted to write. Firstly, I love writing. Um, it's my hobby. Uh, it's therapy and I wrote a piece for uh, for Anna and Shamila for their book um I'd gone through a very very difficult time with fertility and uh my friend Anna said um well listen why don't you write about it because that will probably help you to to recover from your experience and my it was incredible it was pure therapy and that made me realize actually writing about stuff and then sharing it is quite is quite an important thing um especially in the um ashtanga world because there aren't as you say there aren't that many female practitioners who have completed advanced b and have um have gone through a journey of ups and downs and and experience all kinds of, of challenges as well as the joy um and i think it's quite um helpful to talk about some experiences because you know um it's not been an easy ride <laughs> no and um you know the one-pointed focus and determination and courage that you need is is quite overwhelming and um and I think for anyone who is struggling or going through a hard time it's probably nice to know that there are other people out there who haven't had an easy ride um and I guess that's probably why I felt it was quite handy just just to kind of talk about that because um, I've had uh, both my wrists operated on. I've had fertility issues. Um, 
yeah, I've got osteoarthritis, but, you know, the practice is amazing and it works and I love it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a magical tool that helps you to, to get through life with a smile on your face. Um, and, you know, I think it's just so clever the way it's, it's devised and choreographed um, because, you know, the arsenals get harder and harder and harder, but you get older and older and older. <laughs> but, you <Yeah>. get... <laughs> but you also get wiser and a lot more humble because the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. Um, so that's joyful. That's amazing. Um, but, yeah, I, I wrote about, you know, different experiences because I felt, you know, it's it's time for women to, to start, you know, talking a bit. And... Um, uh, as far as I know, I might, I might be wrong about this, but as far as I know, I don't know if any advanced female practitioners have started writing about the menopause. That's something I would I'd really like to know about. How, how does the body change? I mean, I can only tell you up to mid-40s. <laughs> That's all I know. But, you know, I would love to know what happens, you know, mid-50s, mid-60s, mid-70s. Um, I mean, the body obviously changes. We get older. Um, and do you continue in the same intensity? Does the practice change? Do you do fewer asanas? Maybe you do the same series, but maybe you just do half a series one day and the other half the next. I don't know all this stuff, and I, I would love to know. Um, and I would like to think that, you know, in 10, 15 years' time, I might be able to write about that. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, that's sort of, that that was something that I I didn't really mean to become the face of menopause, but... I started sharing when I, when I, when I entered and when I thought I entered, but I really felt like a blind person, you know, just feeling my way around it all. There, there just wasn't anybody to really ask a lot of questions. Um, there were other people that I, other women I was able to talk to, like Christine Hoare came into my life in a wonderful way. We were both going through it at the same time when we met and we met like on a beach in Costa Rica, like things are so weird the way they happen. And she was the first person I ever sat down and kind of opened up with. And, and again, I was interviewing her, but of course she, you know, <laughs> asked questions and, and uh, yeah, just to even know that there was somebody else kind of going through that. And she had turned to Nancy and Nancy had taught her a sequence to practice during the more difficult times and she taught it to me when we were together. And it's it was so simple and beautiful and, you know, less vinyasas and, um, you know, grouping things together. And it, and it shortened the practice because at the time I was practicing, oh, my gosh, like two and a half hours a day. And I was exhausted. I just didn't have any time for life. I mean, I was like, like a wall, like I would have to sleep just to recuperate and I couldn't eat enough. And I, I just, it was so debilitating, um, in a very quick, um, amount of time, you know, and I was moving at the same time. So like there was stressors and things like that, but yeah, it's nice to, when I shared, I didn't have any information to share. All I could share was, this is how I'm feeling right now. But other women then started writing and saying, yeah, this is what I'm going through. This is, um, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And, and so that dialogue then began to open up. But I didn't start practicing until I was in my 40s, Ashtanga yoga. I didn't start practicing until I was in my 40s. So I don't have, I actually don't have the experience early on 
and my daughter is 24, going to be 25. Yeah. And so she's more in the place where you were when you first started practicing. So it, can we go back to your article and talk a little bit about that, how you started? Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, you were in your, you were in your 20s, right? Uh, yes, I mean, it... it, it... <laughs> So I've always been doing um, yoga asanas and, and doing what I used to call sitting quietly. Um, when I was about three, my uh, my mother had this book from the 1970s. It was a green, oblong-shaped book by a guy called Richard Hittleman. And it was called Yoga for Health. And I can remember as a small child going through this book and seeing all these these ladies in these brightly colored cat suits i know <laughs> unitards yeah oh you know the book you know the book yeah and i can remember as a small child just copying the shapes i thought they were amazing so those those positions have always been with me and um i was the the i'm the youngest of five kids and um you know, in order to get away from my siblings and be quiet, I used to sit on my own and shut my eyes and, and try and block out thoughts. So unwittingly, <laughs> I've been doing, you know, a little bit of yoga for quite a long time, but um, I trained as a dancer. Um, but when I went to university to do my first degree, I joined the yoga club. Um, so I was doing, you know, interesting shapes and stuff but it was quite static um and it wasn't really until the late 90s that I um chanced upon um what I now know uh was an Ashtanga yoga class and it blew my mind I thought it was absolutely incredible to find a movement system that makes you feel euphoric and it is healthy um because you know having trained as a dancer ballet in particular it puts an awful lot of wear and tear on the joints especially point work you know where you're jumping on your toes all the time osteoarthritis in my big toe joints now <laughs> um but it was amazing to find a find a movement system that doesn't harm the body but is healing and it makes you feel totally amazing and wonderful and happy and um, and the thing that, that really blew my mind about the Ashtanga system in the 1990s was that it wasn't competitive. Anyone could do it, you know. You just had to make the effort to, to get up early <laughs> um, and go to class. And, and I just thought, wow, this is incredible. This is for everyone. You can be, you know, whatever shape or size or whatever age, and you just do what you can do, and then you bugger off. It's great. Uh, and I just thought, that's so clever. And um, I thought it's beautiful. And um, But for me, you know, I, I had no big ambitions or anything. Um, I... The reason why I, I started doing yoga and the reason why I still do um, asana is because it makes me feel happy um, and I love doing it and I know that the day will be a bit easier if I do it. <laughs> and I had absolutely no aspirations at all to, you know, learn all the postures in the primary series, anything like that. I, I just, you know, just doing the postures and breathing and looking and, and being, you know, a bit coordinated for me was enough. And, and it still is. I mean, it's great. Um, so that's how, how it kind of, I, I, think, I think the Ishtanga practice found me. I didn't really go looking for it. Um, yeah, 
You said in the 90s that it was like yoga for everybody, like anybody could, it wasn't competitive. Do you think that that's changed? I think certainly since Garudi's passing, um, it has shifted a little bit. I can remember, you know, my my first, you know, eight, eight, and eight to ten years going to Mysore, um, practicing with Guruji. People seemed a bit older. Um, they'd lived a bit, a bit more worldly wise, a bit more easygoing, more experienced. Um, and in Mysore, purely to be around Guruji and to feel his love, to feel his joy and, and to do the practice as well. Um, yeah, it didn't feel at all competitive. It felt, no, it didn't feel like people had an agenda. <laughs> they were there just because of the practice and because of Guruji. Um, and, and I love the fact that people were older. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was all good. So I think maybe possibly now, I mean, I might, I might be wrong, but, but it does feel like, um, well, it's, it's amazing that the practice has exploded and it's happening everywhere. And with that brings a new generation of practitioners. But certainly, uh, you know, the last few times I've been practicing in my, so it does feel that, that people have, um, maybe that they want more from it than, you know, my generation did. <laughs> yeah, I wondered. I mean, I wasn't, of course, I, my first trip was only two years ago. So I, I love talking to teachers and students who were a part of Mysore in the beginning, you know, in its beginning stages, such a different experience. 70s. <laughs> you talked about in your article the wrist injury and I have to tell you I cringed I just cringed um when you talked about your sutures opening up a second time oh yeah 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 um okay so um with youth brings carefree reckless abandon <laughs> with age comes wisdom um so you know i so i was in my early 30s um you know felt invincible i've been practicing a while so you know i'd started to to gain a bit of strength um i was fairly flexible from having been a dancer which was always quite nice um but you know i had to work really 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 hard to get strong and um and the interesting thing is um you know, there's a, there's a lot of arm balancing and a lot of weight bearing. And, and you know, if you've got a, a female frame um, with little shoulders and, and big hips, <laughs> it's quite a lot for <laughs> a non-weight bearing joint to, to deal with. And um, it was the time when I was learning the, uh, the 10, the arm balances in, um, in the advanced A series um, a lot of repetition and I don't think I had the chance yet because you know with um, you learn an awful lot from injury uh, and one of the best lessons from injury is that you learn how important alignment is <laughs> and how important your foundation is and you have to work from the ground upwards and I think I was clearly slightly misaligned I think I'd allowed my elbows to, to wing out a bit from my wrists when I was doing my arm balances and this put an awful lot of strain on my wrists 
and doing so much weight bearing on a non-weight bearing joint um, and not doing the counter pose, which would be, you know, pressing your wrists in the opposite direction um, and not really resting between um, arm balances to, to let the body recover a bit. So all of that, um, cre- <laughs> um, well, my body seemed to have uh, developed um, or created an extra layer of bone or increased the, the bone density around my wrist, which is very, very clever and wonderful. But um, it was a bit jagged. So you have a tendon that, that links, allows your thumb to move um, and doing so much, you know, backwards and forwards movement of the wrist with all the weight bearing, um, just ended up with my, um, my tendon being sawn through. <laughs> so yeah, but I basically sawed through my tendon on, on one wrist. So my thumb stopped working. Uh, but miraculously I had a spare tendon. <laughs> apparently some, apparently monkeys have it. So um, my my uh, surgeon um, was able to remove that, and then he he gave me a tendon graft, which was fantastic. Um, and that happened in London, and I think the the surgeon figured out that I was a bit of a nutter, and he gave me one of those really heavy uh, plaster of Paris casts, um, so I I couldn't really move my wrist very much. Um, so I joyfully took my my new plaster. To, to class very soon afterwards and I was swinging around balancing on my fist um which was a bit daft um but my my surgeon wouldn't let me remove the cast for about two months so it had, did actually have a, a proper amount of time to heal so that happened and it took um you know a good few months for me to to build up the the muscles again in my my lower arm but it did happen so that was great um and learned a lot from that and then two years later I snapped the 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 the, the same tendon but on the other hand that unfortunately happened in Mysore <laughs> and uh, the surgeon um yeah had his own kind of ideas um, he didn't give me a heavy plaster of Paris cast. He just gave me a little bandage, which for Philippa in her thirties probably wasn't the best idea. So I went to class the next day and, and I gave Sharat a list of arsenals, which I could do and arsenals, which I couldn't do. And he had a look through and went, okay. Um, so I'm swinging around, but very stupidly, I didn't have my plaster of Paris cast. So I was actually pressing on my hand and I snapped my stitches oh god and there is yeah lots of blood (laughs) this is why guruji says you should learn the practice slowly you know he said it all you know we we have a choice whether we listen or not and you know he talks about correct methods you know you need to honor we need to honor correct method there's a reason for it and if we disobey then bad things happen so i had to um you know walk with my <laughs> i had to walk the walk into my um surgeon surgeon's office in uh, in mysore um with my tail between my legs and i showed him my wrist and he was horrified and he said, how did that happen? And I, I said, well, I did a little bit of yoga asana. <laughs> and uh, to teach me a lesson, he sewed me up with no anaesthetic, which hurt. Oh, so, God. Yeah. But I learned my lesson. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it did heal eventually um, after lots of uh, antibiotics and stuff. 
Um, and yeah, and, and the practice did come back. Um, and that's the amazing thing about the practice. You can take time off to recover from injuries or surgeries or whatever it is that you're going through. The, the postures don't go anywhere. You know, once your body has learned how to do them, it's not like you don't forget. <laughs> Why do there. we get so scared? Why do we get so scared to take time? I know. It's interesting. I think when you're young, you, you don't, you, I mean, you simply don't have the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience. I mean, now I'm older, I know that the postures will come back. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're there. I, I also know that it might take a bit of work, but that's okay. That's part of the practice. That's part of, you know, the the mind control and the determination and the courage. Um but, but yeah, it's 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 good. But yeah, I can say with my hand on my heart, when I was in my thirties, I was irresponsible and reckless, and now I'm in my forties, I'm I'm a bit more mindful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved you sharing that because it was one of those stories. You know, there's a lot of there was a lot of banter. Gosh maybe five, six years ago where everybody was on this bandwagon, not everybody, but some big voices that yoga hurts people and Ashtanga yoga in particular hurts people. And well, do it right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, right. And I mean, you've got, you know, we get hurt um, practicing at different times, but like you, the times I've gotten hurt, I, I know why I got hurt. I mean, I, it, it's usually when I say, you know, I was practicing two and a half hours and I ran myself into a wall. The practice didn't do that. I did that. I did that. I wasn't listening. I kept thinking, I only have so much time left. It's all closing, right? This is all ending. I have to hurry. And so instead of taking a few steps back or, or some time to rest, which I would have thought was quitting or giving up or something like that um rest is just rest right I guess you know you don't think at the end of the day when you go lay down in bed that I just gave up on today <laughs> well quality not quantity and uh and I think a lot of people when they when they're new oh the practice has just come into their lives think it's all about learning new postures but but you know when you've been practicing quite a few years you realize it's not about that at all they are just shapes <laughs> um on different variations of shapes as well and, and it's better to do fewer asanas beautifully with perfect tristana than it is to do you know a two and a half hour long practice or a three hour practice really tired misaligned and not you know, aligning the breath and the movement and, you know, the gaze points. Um, if they're misaligned, you will get injured. If you are tired, you'll get injured. If you're learning from an inexperienced teacher who can't do the asanas um, and is trying to teach you something that they don't know about, you will get injured. I mean, it's just common sense, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, if you, you honour Guruji's system of correct method and you master one asana before you learn the next one with grace and humility and strength and flexibility um, and calmness, uh, and you do it methodically, then you should be fine. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Um, you practice five days a week. Is that right? I do. I do. Yes. You take two days off a week. I do. Yeah. Um, so a uh, couple of reasons for that. Firstly, um, I like to be normal at the weekend and hang out with my friends and do normal things. 
and have a proper weekend. But but the other reason, um, which is much more profound, is that um, when I was learning um, the Advanced A and more more so the Advanced B series, my practice was um, very very long, um, and my Ladies' Day stopped for over three years. Um, and the thing is, with I mean, with primary series, you know, not too athletic. It, I mean, it's you know, it's meant to be therapy. But when you get into the advanced series, they are so demanding and challenging, not only physically but emotionally. And what tends to happen is that your body fat ratio, your muscle, your muscle fat ratio changes. So it's quite common for people who when they get into the advanced series to to lose a bit of body fat and um and if you're doing an epically long practice as well uh, you're becoming an athlete basically and and what happened with me is that my ladies day stopped um and that's not good <laughs> so then um i had problems with fertility um and uh, i was a bit worried about osteoporosis as well so I found, um, I mean, the practice, the, the practice about is about finding optimum health, isn't it? We're trying to be balanced. We're not trying to be extreme. And what I have realized is right for me, um, don't forget I teach a lot as well. So I'm doing, you know, five hours of teaching a day too. So that's quite physically demanding. And, and when I teach, I demonstrate a lot. I'm very physical. I'm running around the whole time. So for me, I like to do a, a two-hour practice, Monday to Friday, ideally, and then teach. And then I like to take the weekends off um, so that I you know, my body is working properly. And once I run my battery out, I can recharge it properly. Um, I don't function well when I'm tired. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I need the time to recover, to, you know, physically recover and just to do something else. You know, um, I still try to be a nice, kind, compassionate person. I try to work on the other limbs. But in terms of asana, um, five days a week is enough for me, along with all the teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you found something that works for you and you listened to your own body, yeah. you know, to give you the signs. And obviously you talked about not having a ladies holiday, not getting your period for those years. I was surprised to find out. Remember I said, I, I practiced, started practicing when I was in my forties or Ashtanga yoga when I was in my forties. Um, I didn't realize how many younger people stopped menstruating. Younger women stopped menstruating during this time. My daughter spent a, an extra month in Mysore the first year we were there without me. So I, I went home. And so she was hanging around with, you know, girls her own age. And, <laughs> and they were talking and she was writing to me and she was saying that indeed uh, many in that circle had stopped. Many of those girls had stopped menstruating. Um, and it, it was just, in, it was, it was interesting because I, I just didn't, I didn't know that. Um, she was surprised. It became something that was on our radar. And I have to say when I was her age, when I was in my twenties or thirties, God, Philippa, I wouldn't have, I felt like rusting during that time was somehow, I don't know. Like, oh, it's an archaic rule from a patriarchal um, system. And 
no, I'll be just fine. And you kind of move through it. That was more my mindset, right? I can do anything a man can do, sort of thing, which I really can't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in your mindset, that that's sort of that, you know, my generation was, you need to hold your own. And yeah. to show you were different and to somehow look less than because you were different or to listen to a man tell you what you need to do with your own body, that pisses you off right there. So I can't say that I, that I had that kind of wisdom at that point. Um, and it's hard for me right now as I, as I look at this because it, it seems to be still difficult to change the conversation away from the way my mindset was. And I understand the way many are um, to a different one, to a gentler, kinder, a softer way that doesn't mean A, you're inferior, less than, or that a man is dictating, but that it's really quite natural. I don't know. Does, it, does any of this make sense? That part's on ladies. Yeah. They're not yeah. taking that, that rest time. Um, they're, they're just, they weren't, I thought you was, was saying that their lady says had stopped and that kind of set alarm bells ringing. Well, in my head. they had, but they're not taking them anyway. So it's like a one right. batch that's not taking them that wouldn't. And then a lot of them aren't, but okay. a lot of them would, when now they were at my store. And so, because you paid for the month, two months, you certainly wouldn't want to waste a few days of those resting. And now my daughter did rest during hers, but we had a specific conversation around what was going on in the community with the younger women, either not resting or not menstruating. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. I, I, the not menstruating is really, um, is alarming. Um, and, and I think that if that's happening, um, that, this is one of the reasons why I, I wrote that article because I was hearing stories about people um, not menstruating and, and I know how dangerous it can be. It's not healthy. And the whole point of the practice is it's meant to, uh, to, to provide optimum health. You know, you're, you're, it's not meant to have a detrimental effect on the body, you know? Um, so to hear that, uh, that, that some young girls or any, any woman at all um, are, and their bodies aren't functioning how they meant to um it is you know worrying um it's trying to call me sorry no <laughs> just move my phone away um yeah so um so, so yeah the, the, there's two conversations here that there's one you know that the ladies day stopping and the other one is practicing on ladies days now i was a ballet dancer and we had to practice whatever <laughs> so um so that's interesting and and from my, my understanding is one of the key reasons why Guruji didn't want um ladies um in his shala um whilst they were on their ladies day was because his shala was like a temple and you know you wouldn't go into a hindu temple on your ladies day it's disrespectful so um so the same thing applies to the shala 
Um, on the, also to do, it's very difficult to engage uh, the banders effectively um, when you're on your, you know, ladies' day because, of, you know, <laughs> it's hard to pull your tummy in and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? So on a practical level as well. Um, I've heard some people talk about inversions. I don't know too much about that because I'm, I'm not a doctor or a, a gynecologist. But I would imagine that the amount of time we're upside down probably isn't too um, worrying. Um it's it's an interesting one isn't it um me coming from a dance background where we had to perform on on ladies days you know I, I get it but then you know being true to the tradition I think it's quite nice just to have a, a, a day off <laughs> isn't it but then as a teacher I can't teach if I haven't practiced so if my ladies day falls within a, a teaching week then I have to practice because I have to teach and I have to demonstrate you know so it, it's it's an interesting one but um but the way I balance it is to make sure I I take Saturday and Sunday off or two, or two days off ideally a week so at least I'm getting that that rest time so the body gets to rest um I think that you know we have to think about the context in which we live and, uh, and be intelligent and do what's appropriate. Um, but um, I also feel that if ladies' days are stopping, um, then that has to be addressed. Um, either people need to do uh, a shorter practice or they need to look at their diet. Is it nutritious enough? Are they eating enough? <laughs> There's a whole wealth of issues here that, that could potentially be addressed. Um, but, uh, um, um, yeah, the reasons for people not practicing on, on uh, ladies' days are, you know, you mentioned because they paid their Charlotte fees and they want to get their money's worth. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tricky. And also, I suppose, you know, you know if, you, if you've got a, a big stressful job and you can only get to class on, say, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and your ladies' days on the Wednesday and Friday, are you just going to, yeah. Will you just practice once? I don't know. I think we're all grown ups and we have to make sound choices about stuff, don't we? Mm. I guess. Um, have you ever taken a long hiatus from practice? Yeah. <laughs> when I went through IVF. Um, uh, when I was trying to conceive, I went through a whole different uh, manner of um, variations of, of not practicing, of doing a little bit of practice, doing my regular practice. So I, I did try not practicing um, for a while. Uh, didn't like that at all. <laughs> um, I did manage to become pregnant with twins. Um, so when I found out about that, I didn't practice. Um, so yeah, there have been spells where I have taken time off or I have adjusted my practice because I was going through fertility treatment. Yeah. Do you regret those times? Uh, I don't think I want to have any regrets at all. Life's too short for regrets. <laughs> you know, everything you do, you learn from it, don't you? Whether whether it's good or bad. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but but you know, I I practice the four series that I know. Uh, Monday to Friday and if I have to teach at the weekends I'll, I'll practice at the weekends as well but uh, but I love the practice um yeah I think it's fantastic um yeah <laughs> I I only ask because I think sometimes the practice itself can become ad addictive a little and that I have heard of teachers especially for women when they're trying to conceive to especially if they had a, a very taxing practice 
to take yeah. some time and not practice. Um, and it's a yeah. difficult, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to my friend Anna again. And, uh, sh- I, after I'd been through lots of different types of fertility treatment and then finally a whole year of IVF, um, and being really, really depressed, um, because I was in India at the time and, you know, if you can't produce kids in India, you're considered to be a, <laughs> yeah, not a proper woman. But <laughs> And that's not just in India. I think that's something. Oh, is that everywhere? Yeah. Okay. Um, but Anna said to me, you know, why don't you try practicing as though you're pregnant? Just imagine that you've got this big fat belly on you and just step and do like a really lazy practice doing just the postures that you could do if you had a big belly. And and it worked. It worked. That was when I conceived naturally. Wow. Um, Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, when, so I got two bits of advice from my, from two of my teachers in Mysore. One of them told me to just do Surinamskara. The other one told me to do my regular practice polar extremes okay I tried both and I tried everything in between as well <laughs> but I will say this when I just did Suri Namaskara I I got depressed um I I needed to do more so I I think you know practicing as though you're pregnant um if you're trying to conceive I think that's that's clever <laughs> that's really cool because you're still doing everything and you're kind of preparing the body and the mind anyway you know, it is really clever. It is really clever. And isn't it fun to do a lazy practice? <laughs> well, and you're embodying the mother. And I don't yeah. know that kids makes that. I, I think that there's there's something very beautiful yeah. about embodying. Yes. And, and also, you know, if you're going to be a mom, you've got to be selfless, haven't you? So if you can't, you know, make a few adjustments, you know, it's going to come a bit of a shock if you suddenly have something a little thing in your life that's uh, quite taking quite a lot of time. So um, I think it's it's a beautiful adjustment time just to just to change the way you practice and, and slow down and you know breathe and look in the right place and synchronize what you're doing. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you sharing that experience right now because I know that that's also something that a lot of women go through and it and it's again something that you can feel very alone with when it's happening and even what you just shared about the practice doing Surya Namaskars feeling a little more depressing and needing to do more what a wonderful way to use the practice to support you where you are I think so I think so yeah and and I think you know the great thing about this practice is that that you can do it forever I mean you don't have to do a lot of it but I would like to think you know in in my uh winter years that I'll be doing, you know, Suri Namaskara, standing sequence, a couple of seated postures, back bends and finishing. I mean, you you don't need to do an awful lot to, to gain the most magnificent effects, do you? A little bit often is fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's a lifelong practice and, you know, moving the body, getting the blood flowing and, you know, just feeling the breath and the joy all you need to do (laughs) I appreciate you taking your time out today it's been so delightful talking to you and meeting you this way (laughs) you're in India right you live in India uh I have a yoga retreat in India 
Do you live in India? Do I live in India? I don't know how to answer that question. I, I don't know how else to ask it. <laughs> well, I have a yoga retreat in, in, in India where I teach for uh, a few months of the year. Oh, just, uh, okay, just a few months. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so we run the retreat from the beginning of January through to May. And then for the other months, I teach around the world, <laughs> sharing the practice. Uh, mostly in Europe. Yeah. Have you been to the States? Uh, not to teach Arsenal. I've been on holiday in New York. And uh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I can talk you into coming to Montana. It's awfully pretty here. I would love to. I would love to, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready to pick up Harmony Slater at the airport today. She is. <laughs> she's flying in for this week. So... I, I would love to extend the invitation for you to come out, get you here in the States. I would love to. Thank you. Yes. That would be amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. So much. This, oh, has been, this has been great fun. Okay, cool. So what are you going to do with this? <laughs> are you still there? Because before you go... I want to tell you about some really exciting stuff on the horizon. First, coming up soon is a long-awaited chat with perhaps the most requested guest ever, Eddie Stern. Also, the Ashtanga Dispatch second magazine will be out in digital format next month and will include bonus material from David Garig, David Kyle, Jen Renee, John Churchill, and others. Listen, the best way to stay updated is to simply receive the weekly dispatch. It goes out every Wednesday. And I hate when my inbox gets cluttered with meaningless stuff and why I really try to make this email different. Of course, I will share with you the upcoming podcasts and other news, but I'll also share with you other podcasts I'm listening to, books I'm reading, favorite recipes, and other things that I've genuinely found useful and interesting. And my husband told me that I need to tell you that these are not paid for sponsors or anything, just stuff that I like and think you'll like too. Go to ashtangadispatch.com and sign up. I'll even send you the first Ashtanga Dispatch magazine in digital format free once you subscribe. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted by me, Peg Mole Queen, with Chris Lucas as our editor and producer. If you're enjoying these podcasts, let others know. Share them on Facebook or give us some stars on iTunes. You can even become a member by supporting the show through Patreon. Visit patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. Because we don't have sponsors or advertisers by choice, so we do rely on the generosity of listeners like you. Thanks again for listening. And I'll be back next month with another inspiring episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. Until then, keep practicing. Oh. Uh...